Hello, and welcome to the first in a series on the Acts of the Apostles. My name is Andrew Felto, and I'm a member of Christ Church in Hitchin. And uh, our house group has been looking at the Acts of the Apostles, and I've been coordinating uh, some of the education around that. And we thought that it would be a great idea to maybe share some of what we've been doing online so that others within Christchurch Hitchin um, can participate if they uh, so desire. So I hope you have a good time um, and I hope you enjoy just following along with us as we follow through just the story of uh, the Acts of the Apostles. To give you an idea of what we're going to be going through, uh, this session is just going to take a look at the context surrounding Acts. So uh, if you have a, a Bible concordance, um, this will just be looking at things like the author, um, when uh, the literary text was written, its intended uh, readers, and anything that can just really place that text in space and time. Now, this is quite important because when somebody has written a text, it's always intended for a specific audience with a specific message. And understanding that, diving back in time and getting back to, uh, to that intention helps us understand maybe why the text was structured in a particular way, uh, why particular stories were told. Uh, because they might shape a particular agenda that the author is trying to make. It also gets us, lets us understand maybe what uh, the purpose the author intended, because maybe they were trying to convince a group of people about a particular agenda. So we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at the context um, of when Acts was written, um, and what was going along in history at that time. We're also going to then move along to the real meat of the session, and we're going to take a look at the first two chapters of Acts. Now, there's a lot to cover in Acts, and if you want to, to understand more about Acts, you can read the actual narrative itself. We're not going to go verse by verse, uh, for that, you pick a Bible concordance and you just run through that in your own time. What I'm intending to do is just to try and take that bird's eye view of the meta-narrative. Uh, meta-narrative really being the big picture of what Acts is trying to accomplish. And then focus on some of the key areas uh, within Acts. I'm hoping that by the time we've finished at the end of Acts, you'll get a good understanding of the story that goes on through that narrative and have a better understanding of the arguments that Luke is attempting to make uh, within the text itself, as well as gain an appreciation of um, the first 30 years of the Ecclesia of the Church uh, in its fledgling years. And with all that said, let's begin 
with some context around the Acts of the Apostles. Acts is part of a two-part compendium uh, written by Luke. Uh, the first part is the Gospel of Luke, which is the story of Jesus. This story is covers a, a period of about 30 years, and uh, we know it as the Gospel of Luke in our Bibles. The second part, also written by Luke, uh, covers a period of 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus and tells the story of uh, from Jesus' um, ascension in Acts 1 all the way to the imprisonment of Paul uh, in Rome, a period of about 30 years. Now, nowhere in this uh, book uh, do we actually learn who the author is? The author does not self-identify like uh, many all other authors of the New Testament and in general many other writers who wrote in the Hellenistic period. However, we understand that it was written by Luke. Its authorship is confirmed through Christian tradition, um, through Irenaeus, Irenaeus being an early church father um, who studied under Polycarp and Polycarp who studied under John. So we have a, a fairly good, solid tradition, uh, which gives us confidence um, that this was written by Luke, the physician and traveling companion at one time of Paul. We also believe that Luke was written somewhere between 80 and 90 AD. And now just try and put that in context. Jesus was uh, crucified and resurrected in the early 30s AD. And uh, Acts covers a period of about 30 years following uh, Jesus' um, resurrection. So that takes us to about 60-ish AD. Um, and so a couple of decades afterwards, um, uh, Luke went and penned um, the book of Acts. There was a lot going on for the Jews at the time, about 80 to 90 AD. If you understand uh, any Jewish history, you would realise that the post-70 AD timeline is absolutely significant for every Jew. At 70 AD, the temple to Yahweh, God, was destroyed by the Romans. There was a large Jewish up, uh, uprising uh, following heavy taxation and the loss of sovereignty of the Jewish people. And um, this culminated in a number of riots, in the ganging of several disparate Jewish groups um, into a single uh, unified body, at least for some time, um, and drove an enormous response by the Romans, so enormous that the city of Jerusalem was sacked and the temple to God was utterly destroyed. So you can imagine that if you were a Jew living just a mere 10 years after the destruction 
of the temple of God and the destruction of the city of David, how you must have felt about your faith, about the Romans, about Rome and your identity. We'll get on in a minute about uh, what the temple meant and the purpose of the temple, because it's relevant in the first two chapters. But I just want to get you to start to think that a cataclysmic event had happened in Jewish history. And now Luke is writing um, a piece of work straight after this. Within 10 years, it's still fresh. The wounds are still fresh in Jewish lives. It's also worth uh, saying that the letter to um, an act uh, tries to cover a number of questions which, which you or I might have. We have um, the Gospel of Luke, which tells the story of Jesus. But now we have Jesus, the, the key figurehead of um, his own movement, departing willingly. And now what does that mean? Why did Jesus leave when he was resurrected and alive? There's questions like this which we want to, to consider. Did Jesus have to go? What happens to his movement, to his core message? Uh, did the disciples pick up the same core message or was it altered or changed in any way? Was there another agenda at work? How do you continue to progress the message of Jesus when your figurehead has left? A key question that needs to be answered and that Luke gets into depth within Acts to help answer. And uh, just one more item just on this introduction is that, well, while we do have a number of uh, agendas that Luke has, it's probably worth remembering that the stories that Luke has pulled together for Acts are collated in a way to illustrate a bigger meaning. So there's an angle to these stories which we need to be aware of. We need to be aware that in, in any good um, Greek and Hellenistic writing um, that uh, things like speeches have a substantial role in the text. So um, the, the speeches in Acts is um, absolutely follows the trait of every good Hellenistic piece of writing in which the hero um, gives the speech that always should have been said. And uh, there are speeches by Paul. Um, there are many speeches by um, Peter. Oh, sorry, there's one key speech by Peter. Uh, there's the stoning of Stephen. So key speeches which are absolutely eloquent, which drive the kind of response and cut you to the heart. This is uh, some of the texts that we really want to drill down into because speeches play an important role in the text, just like they do in every other Hellenistic work of this trait. Uh, and, and finally, the last point before we dive into Acts 1 is that uh, the book itself is structured into several parts. Uh, Jesus himself um, provides that structure 
because he commands the disciples to be uh, his disciples throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And here we see a bit of the structure playing out in Acts that the disciples are first in Jerusalem um, before dispersing to uh, the wider area of Judea and then Samaria and then with Paul's travels um, further around the Mediterranean, uh, first to Asia Minor, which is now modern day Turkey, and eventually even to, um, uh, to Greece and finally to Rome, the proverbial ends of the earth. When we begin to read Acts 1, we need to learn first a little bit about how temples operated in Hellenistic times. And uh, uh, apologies um, for those who uh, hear me say the word Hellenistic a few times. Uh, Hellenism is a period of times um, uh, between approximately 300 BC to about 100 AD, depending on how you define it. It's really characterized uh, by the um, spread of Greek culture throughout the Mediterranean and beyond. This was a massive cultural shift in uh, the Western and Eastern worlds. Uh, beforehand, you had a, a lot of various tribes with their own languages and their own customs. And during the Hellenistic period, uh, kicked off by Alexander the Great, uh, Macedonian king, uh, where he basically uh, invaded, conquered, and continued to conquer um, uh, Greece and uh, Persia, and then carried on moving uh, down to Egypt and onwards uh, through Samaria, uh, Syria, and eventually stopped. Um, just by uh, modern-day Afghanistan, the um, uh, Hindu Kush, an absolute immense amount of land was occupied by Alexander, and the ensuing centuries, all of that area effectively became Greek. They spoke Koine Greek as their lingua franca, uh, they built uh, Greek styles of houses, of cemeteries, of tombs, um, adopted many customs and practices of the Greek. So the whole world, or the whole known world at that time, could suddenly uh, adopt a single large culture. Uh, it's almost like the um, uh, cultural hegemony uh, that's occurred in the last uh, century or so uh, by the spread of British imperialism and now American imperialism in the West. So everybody felt as though they had something in common, a, a Greekness about them in common, um, which I, I understand this has been a very large segue, so we'll get back to this. Back to the temple. The temple any temple was the manifestation of the presence of that deity. And in Hellenistic culture, we had many deities. 
people were accepting that there were many gods who served different purposes um, and you had gods uh, in your family, it could be ancestor, you had gods um, in, uh, in protection of cities or tribal groups. Um, so, for example, Athena uh, was the goddess of Athens, um, the city-state of Athens in Greece. These gods came to represent uh, the city-states or the areas um, that were attributed to them. So you would uh, go to a particular city-state and maybe pay homage while you were there to that particular god, um, just out of uh, politeness or respect. Um, you would go and pay tribute to Pan, for example, um, who's uh, the gods of uh, livestock and shepherds. Um, if you wanted to uh, ensure a better outcome for your livestock, um, you would have several gods who you would worship personally. Uh, people would have gods uh, of their own that you may or may not have heard of. Uh, the lives of the gods, as it was understood, uh, was separate and independent and was woven into the story of people. And uh, there was not the modern day understanding of gods being something that you followed, um, I was about to say religiously, but in a similar manner that we do to say, well, I am, uh, I identify as a Hindu or Muslim or Jew. Um, uh, you would just accept that there were many gods and you worshipping um, one god or a number of gods was just how you did it. Where it becomes more interesting is what happens when the temple of a god is destroyed or the people who follow that god specifically is defeated. Because in this case, the actual people group uh, might be defeated and it has an implicit understanding that therefore that God has been defeated. That God could not protect their own, his or her own people. Uh, that God could not protect his or her own temple. And this is true uh, for the temple in Jerusalem and uh, the perception for the Jewish people at the time. So, so taken from a Hellenistic perspective at 70 AD, the Romans had come in, they had besieged Jerusalem and sacked Jerusalem and utterly destroyed the temple. Now, for a number of reasons, this was cataclysmic, uh, notwithstanding the fact that the city of David was destroyed the temple, according to the Torah, is the place and the only place where proper worship could happen to Yahweh, to God. There was no other place where you could worship. The temple as well was the place where the manifestation of Yahweh 
dwelt amongst his people. The loss of the temple strongly implied that the presence of God had left his people. The destruction of the temple also meant that no worship, no worship could occur to Yahweh. If you were a Jew living after 70 AD, your whole world was turned upside down. The God of gods, Yahweh, the one that you can have no other gods apart from Yahweh, had been defeated. What were you to do as a good God-fearing Jew? Well, we, we have the hindsight of history to help us answer that question. And uh, we also know through a lot of good historic works that uh, the Jewish faith is innovative. It comes up with solutions, it adapts and changes. And for a number of centuries, there was already a rift occurring within Jerusalem, uh, so within uh, the Jewish people, uh, between those who prioritised the temple as the um, sacred cornerstone of their faith and those who prioritised the law and the written work um, as the sacred underpinning element of their faith. And uh, while we had the people who managed, owned and administered the temple, the Sadducees and um, the aristocracy who benefited from that, um, pushing the agenda, and that would be the Sanhedrin as well, pushing the agenda uh, for the temple being the most significant place. We also had a group of people uh, who we know as the Pharisees who were continually pushing the law, the observance of the law, um, and uh, the significance of um, the Septuagint or the Jewish scriptures um, as the central pillar of their faith. And so uh, the Jewish people went from a uh, people group who were centered around temple worship and temple life to a people group who were centered around um, a sacred text. And as we know, texts can be copied and distributed. And uh, this allowed the faith to continue and to grow and to adapt while Jews were in uh, diaspora all across the Mediterranean. Um, uh, Jews could continue being Jews uh, with this new and adapted world. In Luke chapter 21, Luke records Jesus making a promise about the temple, that the temple to God would be destroyed and rebuilt in three days. It's, it's a long passage, but that the key to this is that Jesus predicts in 30 AD the destruction of the temple. This was seen as blasphemy, and in the end, his claim that the temple will be destroyed led 
to the um, uh, vilification and arrest of Jesus. Uh, we have uh, in another gospel at the time in Mark chapter 13, um, that same claim of the destruction of the temple. So we see a bit of foreshadowing occurring here that uh, Jesus has in about 30 AD already told his disciples that the temple will be destroyed. An absolutely audacious claim. And now that you understand a little bit more about temples, I hope you understand the significance of what this must have meant to a good God-fearing Jew. Acts 1 picks up the conversation. Um, the Jesus is uh, with his disciples for uh, a period of 40 days after uh, the Passover, after his death and resurrection. And uh, you can see the continuity between the Gospels, particularly the Gospel of Luke uh, and Acts, because Jesus uh, carries on uh, teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God. Uh, the kingdom of God is the central message of Jesus. And uh, Jesus leaves the instruction uh, for his disciples to remain in Jerusalem because a gift is going to be given to the disciples. And this is where we have the, the beginning of the first mentions of um, the Holy Spirit. The key verse in um, the beginning portion of Acts 1 is verse 6, where the expectation of the disciples is made known. The disciples, um, after following Jesus, listening to his message, seeing that God is with Jesus, seeing that Jesus has um, faced the uh, Jewish authorities and the Romans and had been vindicated by God, had been resurrected, are still chasing this dream of a restored kingdom of Israel as the purpose of the Messiah. So verse 6, they gathered around him and asked, this is the NIV version, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And uh, Jesus sort of sidesteps the answer. Uh, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times of day to the Father is set by his own authority. But, and now this is Jesus's point, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth. And this is the last message that Luke leaves of Jesus. And from here on in, uh, the story shifts to the story of the disciples. Now, once again, we must remind ourselves that Jesus has left. Jesus is alive. Jesus has been teaching for 40 days after his resurrection. And then he leaves with a promise of this thing called the Holy Spirit. Now, we have uh, at least some understanding of the Holy Spirit. Uh, a lot of the um, epistles uh, and Acts itself uh, goes a great deal into explaining um, what the Holy Spirit is. Uh, it may have taken a very different meaning when uh, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. And we must be careful here as well that we don't uh, put on our understanding of 2,000 years of uh, Christian tradition um, and read that into what the disciples might have 
um, heard when they heard about the Holy Spirit being discussed. And uh, essentially, here we see um, Jesus leaving um, once again in a very dramatic way uh, before the disciples' very eyes. So you have witnesses to the event, um, a cloud hiding from sight, uh, men dressed in white robes, um, really uh, looking back to the, the transfiguration and really letting you understand that this is a supernatural and holy event that has just occurred. Now, about uh, 10 days after Jesus' ascension, uh, we get to the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost, uh, if you can imagine it like New Year's, it's um, new beginnings, new fruit, first fruit, uh, is one of the feasts um, celebrated in the Jewish calendar. And you can read more about that in Leviticus 23. On this day of Pentecost in the Jewish calendar, the disciples were together in one place. Now, now we're reading from Acts 2. And uh, Luke recounts um, a story, um, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind um, came from heaven, filled the whole house that they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. This quite clearly is the gift that Jesus had promised to his disciples. And uh, the language used here, and the imagery used here, is uh, very typical of the imagery used to say that a, a divine supernatural event was occurring, the, um, the rushing of the blowing of wind um, and the tongues of flame. What's significant here is uh, the fire was resting upon each of the disciples and a supernatural change occurred to each of the disciples. They began to speak in other tongues um, is the manifestation um, of that change. And here directly following this, um, we have the first of the, the great speeches where from verse 14, uh, Peter uh, addresses a crowd of people who are witnessing the disciples speak in uh, foreign languages and um, manifesting uh, the Holy Spirit. This is one of those speeches uh, that attempts to explain to the reader of the day uh, what is occurring. And it has a bit of a, a playwright brush in it because uh, clearly Luke is writing to his audience of readers here and the message is absolutely clear. The presence of God used to be in the temple of God and that was the only place where you could worship God. That was where God dwelt with his people. God has created a new thing at that moment. No longer will the presence of God dwell with his people in a physical temple. The presence of God will now dwell within everyone who picks up their cross and follows Jesus. We're going to leave it there. 
at uh, Peter's speech. And this is because this is the first of the big reveals that happens in Acts. It's worth considering what this must have meant to the various audiences. Firstly, to uh, Peter's listeners in um, 30 AD who heard this message and who still had a temple um, but were clearly seeing um, the work of God at hand and who may have had um, some concerns about how temple worship ought to still happen but clearly seeing the work of God occurring in front of them. Peter uh, has great success at the end of his speech, as Luke records, um, as in all great speeches here, that Peter's words cause many people to be baptised and to turn to Jesus' way. It's also worth thinking about what this message must have meant uh, after Luke had written this between 80 and 90 AD to Jewish people who had no temple and were struggling to understand how they were to still worship and how they were to still um, have the dwelling of God uh, amongst them. We're going to see in uh, later chapters in Acts what this meant. We're also going to see a lot more about uh, who this message was intended for. Because the message might start as a Jewish message, but very soon we get challenged about what does it mean to be a Jew? Was the temple of God seeing its original purpose out at Hellenistic times, or had it changed into something that it was never intended to be? And we're going to start to grapple with what happens if you're not a Jew and you have been turned by Jesus' message to follow Jesus, be baptised and follow Jesus, does that mean that you need to become a Jew? And if so, what aspects of Jewishness do you pick up? So there's a whole bunch of questions that this act opens up to us. I do hope that you've enjoyed listening to the Surge podcast. This is the first time I've attempted a podcast of... Um, the contents in here and if you've enjoyed it or if you have any thoughts or comments then feel free to get in touch with me you'll find me on uh, Facebook I don't do Twitter I barely do social media um, but with my uh, brothers and sisters in Christ in Christchurch uh, I'm happy to to talk more and hopefully you may see uh, another piece of content um, coming this way online soon. Thank you.